Greetings and salutation to our Razone fam. Happy Martin Luther King Day to everyone. By the time you see this, it probably won't be Martin Luther King Day anymore, but it's totally okay. Um, happy New Year to everyone. We want to first say welcome to the Raw Zone. Uh, we are inside the Raw Zone right now. Um, this is our Respect the Shooter series. Uh, but first and foremost, you can find us everywhere at www.rawzonenyc.com. You can catch us on Tuesday nights on Elgin Sound Radio, 8 p.m., and, of course, on Puso 82.3 FM, Wednesdays, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Shout out to both radio stations being a massive supporter of everything we do. Um, you could also catch us on What's Smackdown on Smackdown, courtesy of the Ramble Mania Boys. If you didn't see it, you can see our collision and our AEW recaps on Twitch and YouTube right now. We are powered by Bold and Luscious Cosmetics. Shop Bold with Raw Zone. Use the code RD15 off and get you something. Get something for your girls this Valentine's Day, man. Come on. You know you scored them brownie points. Um, I do want to thank everyone that gave back to our give back for Sean. We were we are almost at the five thousand dollar mark for sarcoma awareness. Uh, shout out to Catch Astoria for hosting our Give Back for Sean. And of course, the, the Astoria community for raising toys for the Mount Sinai Kravish Children's Hospital. Uh, they have children not only with sarcoma, but with all types of juvenile cancer. So it was our great honor to be a part of that fundraiser. If you want to donate to our Give Back for Sean, our links will be in the description below. Uh, please. We, you don't know who cancer will hit next. Uh, sarcoma is found in like a small percentage of the population. And those people don't get hurt, don't get the help they need, excuse me. And 7%, excuse me, I'm going to have to add that out. Um, and most of the time, people diagnosed with sarcoma, they usually found after they have died. Sean um, Gee did so much for me growing up and being a shithead kid in college. And he did so much for his community from mission trips to just being there for friends and helping them with stupid homework assignments by acting crazy because you had to have some type of focus group. But um, everyone had one friend like that. So think of that when you go and you watch this and you, you make your donation. But without further ado, um, for most that know me, I'm a photographer for 15 years. I got into hip hop and everything uh, by pure accident, honestly. I was working with the Spanish community, the hip hop, la, la mega, different artists. Um, I was working in nightclubs and then I suddenly made my way to hip hop, which was something unfamiliar for me because growing up, I wasn't allowed to listen to hip hop. My mom, a very traditional Greek woman. So I spent the last seven years immersing myself in such a genre that's enriched with so much history, you know. And this our guest today is the person that captured the genre's baby pictures. Uh, Fat Joe credits him for not only highlighting the origins of hip-hop, he also put a highlight on Latinos in hip-hop. And of course, you when you have when you have someone as Elite as Crazy Legs also co-signing this gentleman saying without him, there is no hip hop. 
it's just a crazy thing altogether. So without further ado, I want to interview and introduce you, the man, the myth, the legend from the South Bronx himself, Joe Kanzu. <laughs> All right, I'm here getting tongue-tied. You're watching me. I'm like, ah! <laughs> hey, Katie, thank you for having me on. Thank you for that intro. Thank you so much for being here. Um, we normally start off the show like, how you feeling? Um, what's the vibe like today for you? Did you have a good weekend? Um, I'm feeling good. You know, I'm I'm a very humble person. I'm just grateful that I got up this morning. I'm being given another day to to be with my family, my friends, and 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 do what I do best. Just you know promoting positive vibes. My weekend was phenomenal. Um, I was down in the city uh, getting my portrait shot by the GOAT, uh, Jonathan Mannion, one of the greatest hip-hop photographers out there today, doing what he does best. And for him to shoot my portrait and look up towards me as uh, breaking down the barriers and doors to documenting this genre is, is humbling. And, you know, hanging out with family and friends and, you know, working on a documentary about my life, you know, this past weekend. So it was a good weekend. And plus it's, you know, football. 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 Are you a New York fan or? I listen, I'm a New York fan. I, I just, I just love good football and watching the games yesterday. And then there's a, Good game with uh, a New York team going on today. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Are you happy happy that the Cowboys lost yesterday, like the rest of the world? You know, it's funny, but, like, it it, it is what it is. Let's move on to the next game. It is what it is. Oh, man. Uh, Because I have a group chat. They were all ragging because this person is in tech. Oh, one of our people that are in Texas right now, and they're like, oh, so how do you feel? Like, Because, you know, Cowboys beat the Giants, but so many times. So we were just all praying for their downfall. <laughs> I mean, you have to. You have to. I mean, Texas can't, Texas can't beat that man. I mean, the Cowboys didn't get in, but the Texans, the other team got in. So, I mean, you know. it's not all bad. Cowboys. It is what it is. Listen, I'm old enough to remember the Cowboy Dynasty back in the 70s and 80s where they were unstoppable. So, you know, it is what it is. Some some teams don't have a dynasty. They don't have that run. You know, so... That's very uh, true. Yeah. That so. is very true. But being that you did mention growing up in the 70s and 80s, I still, you know... If it wasn't for all the stuff you documented, I wouldn't have believed that you were 60 years old. Um, yep. I'm going to be 61 in, in February. Oh, you uh, Yeah, February 6th. I'm an Aquarius. Um, I subscribe to the motto, uh, a rolling stone gathers no moss. So okay. you got to stay busy. You got to stay busy. You got to be a rolling stone. Keep moving, keep moving, keep moving. And... Um, that's what keeps me going. That's yeah, I've been re- I've been retired from the fire department now six years, and um, it's all about staying busy, staying busy. 
So Doing what you love. You know what's funny? Your birthday is the day after my mother's birthday. Look at that. Look at that. My dad's birthday, God rest his soul, is the fourth. Okay. My mother's birthday is the fifth. Your birthday is the sixth. That's just greatness right there. So my granddaughter's birthday is February 1st. My wife's birthday is February 3rd. My birthday is February 6th. We have Valentine's Day. We have our wedding anniversary, March 11th. And my daughter's birthday is January 23rd. So it's like... What uh, is it like that? Do you, do you buy a lot of gifts or do you like buy I one? Buy, I buy one gift and this is for... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we just we just got out of Christmas, three Kings Day, so it's like one gift for all all, oh, all you the do, celebrations. So you do the tradition of three Kings Day, you give gifts that day and everything. Um, not so much, but I'm aware of it because that's how I was raised, and that's how I want to raise my children and grandchildren. So I may not do the traditional three days of giving, you know. But they're aware of the holiday because it's part of the heritage. Yeah, we used to, my mom, she used to let me unwrap certain gifts on Christmas. And like whatever was sent from like our family in Greece, we would open it on Three Kings Day because um, it had like a different meaning for for, for Greek. So they okay. said supposedly St. Saint, uh, Saint Nicholas did something. I, I have to remember right. the story, but. It led to us being able to open gifts on Three Kings Day. Okay. Um, but that's pretty cool. Um, so let's start with the beginning of your story, right? Um, you grew up in the 70s. Uh, the Bronx was not, let's say, safe at the time, right? It's not safe now, but <laughs> I heard it was worse. So I grew up in the 60s. I was born February 6, 1963. Okay, uh, hippie movement, community activism, love, freedom, the whole nine yards, Vietnam War, the whole nine yards. Um, and it just, it was a, a turbulent time where, you know, uh, uh, things were going on in New York City at the time. And um, I happened to be a young kid who fell in love with photography and was just documenting and capturing my friends and families and, and the community around me. And one thing led to another. I, I, I captured a moment of a time in the Bronx where, you know, the birthplace of, of this culture we call hip hop, community activism, you know, uh, uh, my grandmother, uh, Dr. Evelyn Antonetti, known as the Hell Lady of the Bronx, fighting Hollywood and Paul Newman against movies like Fort Apache the Bronx that depicted the Bronx people as savages, so to speak. So I was a young kid, a young teenager just documenting because I fell in love with the with photography. Yeah. And not knowing that I was documenting an era, a time that people would revere and look back on so much, especially the hip-hop culture. You know, my dad was uh, Tito Puente's uh, personal confidant. So when I wasn't taking pictures of my friends that I went to school with, you know, that were birthing this culture we call hip-hop, I'm hanging out with my dad taking pictures of Tito Puente, Hector Lavoe, 
Eddie and Charlie Palmieri, all the giants of Latin music. So I'm not just, I'm known as a hip hop photographer, but my archives are so much more. And how does that feel, right? Because um, I read in an article that you were actually trying to escape, you know, being in your dad's shadow while so, working with that. So, I mean, listen, it's kind of hard growing up known as the son of or the grandson of, okay? So that's what I, I guess that's what the, the article you're referring to. So I was always known as Evelina Antonetti's grandson, Joe Conzo's son, Lorraine Montenegro, my mother's son. I never had an identity of my own until later on, you know, with my photography. But, um, yeah, I mean, I look back at it. I appreciate it more now as an adult. But as a kid trying to find yourself, you know, I was always known as somebody's offspring, which oh, can be kind of difficult sometimes, especially in school when you get called to the principal's office and, like, um, we're going to call your grandmother, we're going to call your mother. I was like... What did I do, man? What did I do? It's funny because I had that same type of upbringing here in Astoria. Like everyone knew who my uncle was, everyone knew who my dad was, everyone knew who my mom was, you know. And then the worst part, the same thing. Like I'll go in high school and I get in trouble because something my brother did. I'm just like, damn, the fuck, man? Why can't I live? Um, and you know, in, in hindsight, it's a good thing. It's a good thing because we don't have that today. You know, people should know who your parents are. You know, growing up uh, in, in the Bronx, you know, um, your neighbors knew your parents, which was a good thing. You respected your neighbors. The beat cop on the corner, officer so-and-so, knew your parents, and you respected that officer. You don't have that today. You don't have that today. So, you know, in, in hindsight, you know, I wish I would have appreciated it more and not rebelled against it. But being a, a a parent today and being a grandparent, you you kind of wish that was going on today, that we all knew each other. We, you know, it was a time where my mother raised five kids by herself. Some days there wasn't enough food for everybody, but our next door neighbor had an extra pot of rice and beans. And my mother can go next door or vice versa. So we looked out for each other. Yes, the Bronx got a bad rap back in those days. The Bronx was burning, drugs, gangs, you name it, social decline. But it was more family oriented. We took care of each other. We watched out for each other. Do you feel and, like the Bronx has changed since then? Um, I mean, it's a different time period today. I mean... I go down to the Bronx today, which I love so much. I mean, I got tattooed on my arm, born in the Bronx, and, and, and I love the Bronx. But the city, not just the Bronx, the city, the world as a whole has changed. You know, throwing the political climate that we're going through, throwing COVID, throwing all of this, and you have what we call un ajo con culo. Huh? You have what we call un arroz con culo, rice with 
a, a pot of rice with just asses, so to speak. And it's changed. It's changed. We we don't have the respect of children or teenagers for adults. We don't have the adults respecting the, the kids and what they're doing because, you know, again, things have changed. We didn't have social media back then. You know, we went out and played. We played in the street. We played run, catch, and kiss, scalzies, handball. Now everybody's on the iPhone and computer and have no respect for their surroundings and what's going on. And everybody has an opinion. And not, a, you know, all for it, but, you know. So it's a different vibe today. That's what I'm trying to get at. It's a different vibe. You, you can't compare today to my era. Yes, it was it was a devastating urban decay going on in the city, especially in the Bronx. But today's urban decay and, and, and political climate is totally different because of the factors. Because of the factors. So, yes, things are different today than it was during my time period because of the factors. So uh, let me ask you this, right? Because I come from a family of very like strong, opinionated, like even if they're wrong, they're not wrong type of people, right? Um, and growing up, I always thought like as a child, right? If I don't, if, if I speak up, it's disrespectful, you know? I, I mean, listen, your parents are probably my age. Yeah. Maybe a little bit older or younger. Um, they were raised differently than than you were raised. Uh, my mother was very strong-minded, you know, and I'd go toe-to-toe -to -toe with my mother. May she rest in peace. But, you know, my dad's still around. He's 82 years old. He's, you know... Known as um, the foremost historian in Latin music, Joe Conzo Sr. Um, and he was raised differently, and he's very opinionated. But being an adult myself, you know, I'll go toe to toe with my dad, but respectfully. I will, will never ever disrespect my dad. Like, I feel like you know what I mean? I feel so like you fine line to standing up for yourself. It is a fine line. It is a fine line. But, you know, you're an adult also. So they have to look at it that way. Yeah, at least in I, my opinion. I always saw it because I remember one time I was, I my, my aunt said something extremely, like, out of line. And I'm like, why would I go do something for someone who does not appreciate or even want to be around me? And she's like, why are you being disrespectful? I'm like, I'm not being disrespectful. I'm telling you how I feel. If you find that disrespectful, that's your fault. Okay. I ain't going to be mad at you. You know, and then they say it's like the whole generation. I'm like, no, it's not all of us. It just, if you don't let us articulate how we feel, how can you have a healthy relationship with someone? You're, you are 100% correct. I go toe-to-toe -to -toe with my daughter all the time. And my daughter is going to be 27 years old. 
I go toe-to-toe -to -toe with my son, who's 36 years old, all the time. But I will not allow them to disrespect me. Oh, yeah. No, of course not. You know, but I have to respect their opinion and, and you know, hope for the best. You know, as parents, you want what's best for your kids. Period. End of story. Period. End of story. You want what's best for your kids. But sometimes you have to cut that umbilical cord and just let them go off on their own. Yeah. So going back to starting photography, right? What was your mindset like back then? And what was it like to actually work in the time where it was just film? So, I mean, listen, again, you know, I was a young kid growing up. I didn't... I didn't have the athletic abilities as some of my friends growing up. I didn't have the gift of gab that some of my friends had. But I fell in love with photography because my stepfather, Michael Kane, was an amateur family photographer. And I found out that I was the only kid in the neighborhood with a camera and honed on that passion and just fell in love with it where it became more than a hobby, it became a passion where I just transferred it over into my school setting and took photography classes in, in, in junior high school and high school and um, just fell in love with it. And not knowing that I was documenting a time period that um, people look back at today. Speaking of having, of getting, uh, classes in photography. Do you feel like? Because I took one class in photography, and my teacher said I couldn't do it, and then I just kept doing it one because I like it, two to prove him wrong, and three to go haha. But that's besides the point. Um, do you feel like there really needs to be? Do you need a diploma or a real formal education to be a photographer? Of course not. Of course not. You, you, you. I mean. <sighs> It, it, it's all from the heart and the passion you have. And it's all about developing your eye, the skills. You know, from high school, I went to School of Visual Arts, SBA, downtown, one of the premier, you know, art institutions in New York City. And um, I did two years there. I had to drop out because I couldn't afford it. But going to school... At SVA School of Visual Arts, I learned the fun, the, the the foundation of photography. I knew the great photographers. That's what I learned. Who I found out about Ansel Adams and all these great photographers and skills they have. So that I appreciate. But I don't have a degree in photography. I have experience in photography. I've developed my eye in photography. I started out in film photography and gradually moved over to digital photography because times change. If you want to stay relevant, you have to change with the times. But it's it's not the equipment. It's your eye. It's your eye and what you're trying to convey and capture and document. So that's it. What? What was so you know? I mean, if you if you notice some of my emails, yeah, my emails are Joe Conzo, you know, comma PhD, yes, 
and people think I have I'm a doctor. You know, I have a doctorate. I go, no, I have a PhD in poverty, hunger, and determination. That's my PhD. That's my degree. And we all have that. We all have that, especially growing up in the Bronx and Queens or Brooklyn in New York City. That's a very survivor. You know, this is, you know, that's something my grandmother taught me years ago. You can't teach what we went through or are going through in any school. So, you know, F a degree. Do you have anyone after learning about like the greats in photography, is there anyone that inspired your style? I mean, listen, Ansel Adams is phenomenal, especially in black and white photography. You know, I refer to him all the time. You know, when I mention Pablo Picasso, you automatically think paintings. Yeah. But he did some phenomenal photography also. He did the lighting, the light writing portraits. And that yeah. inspired me to do that too as a kid. Taking my, you know, Minolta camera, putting it on a tripod, setting off all the lights in the house, setting the camera to bulb where the lens opening stays open and taking a candle and writing my name in the dark and then developing the film and seeing my name written in the dark. So, you know, that inspired me and inspired me in how I shoot. You know, I look up to other photographers like Jamel Shabazz, Jonathan Mannion, Martha Cooper, you know, Ernie Banacoli, Jeanette Beckman, all these great hip-hop photographers. And I look up to them also in their style. But we all have our lane. We all know each other and document accordingly. Art is definitely subjective, right? What, of course. But being that we also know the technical aspect, is there such thing? Your dog is so cute, by the way. I'm sorry. <laughs> He's running around reminding me Thank of my you. dog right now. Um, but being that art is subjective and we both know the technical aspects, is there such thing as a bad photo? No. No. I mean, it, listen... I have some great shots that are out of focus. I have some great shots that my flash didn't go off. It's all what you're trying to convey. It's all about composition. It's all what you're trying to give give the person that's looking at your 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 photographs. You know, when I did Born in the Bronx, my book Born in the Bronx, you know, that was one of the hardest things I ever did because I look at my photographs one way, but somebody else would look at them a different way. And my great friend and confidant, Johan Kugelberg, the editor and the one who, who helped publish the book, he's like, Joe, you know, I'm seeing it differently and the world's going to see it differently. And I'm like, but it's just a snapshot. It's just my friends. He goes, but yeah, you got to look on. Beyond that, you got to look at the fashion. You got to look at the background. You got to look at what they're wearing, how their hairstyle, you know, what's going on. And I've been able to convey that in my photographs, which I still try and do today, is transport somebody into a time period or 
what I'm seeing that day. Do you find it difficult to keep up with the latest trends with photography? Uh, I don't try and keep up to anything. I shoot a certain way, and if I can't shoot my no. way, I'm not going to shoot at all. I mean, it's funny. Me, I, wait, let me rephrase. Like, like from the digital, from the film to the digital era, was it difficult? Oh yeah, it was difficult. It was difficult. I was scared. You know, I was scared. Here I am shooting film, developing my own film and stuff, and amassing this massive archive of negatives. And here I am getting offers for, you know, can we license this image? And I'm like, okay, now I got to scan the image, scan the negative. That was something new I had never done. Okay, we want, you know, we want to send you to go shoot so-and-so but we need the images tonight so they can be published tomorrow. And I, oh, now I got to get into digital photography and learn about, you know, TIFF files, JPEGs, RAW files, all of that good stuff. And it, 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 but if you want to stay relevant, you know, just like a DJ, crates and crates of vinyl records, and, but, you know, those days of, you know, traveling with, you know, a half dozen crates of records now are put on, you know, a thumb drive and you can DJ for hours. But, you know, so you have to be able to adapt if you want to stay somewhat relevant in, in today's world in photography, but you don't have to compromise on how you shoot. And the way I shoot is... I tell people, if I'm going to shoot your event, I need a leave Joe Conzo alone pass, which basically translates to leave me the fuck alone. Yes. I will shoot you. I will shoot your event. You won't even not. You won't even see me. But I need access to the front stage, backstage, side stage, red room, green room, bathroom, locker room. Anywhere, because I need to document what's going on. Did you, ever, gonna, did you ever have yeah. an issue where they didn't leave you the fuck alone? Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, today's big events, you know, they treat photographers like cattle. You get to shoot the first three songs, and then you're hustled off to the side until the next act comes on and they bring you back in. And like, I can't shoot like that. Everybody that's in the pen, the cattle pen is getting the same shot. I can't shoot like that. And I did it once or twice and never again. So when I shoot an event like Rock the Bells for LL Cool J, I have a leave Joe Conzo the fuck alone pass. And I can go wherever the if I want, and shoot the event. Sorry, it's okay. And I can shoot your event. And I promise you, I will give you pictures that nobody else is going to be giving you because of the way I shoot. My work has been described as that fly in the wall. I like you know the, the wall. You know the fly's there, but he's not really there. You know what I mean? But so a shot come out. Yeah. So, you know, you might see me on stage, 
side stage, backstage, but you will never see me part of the act like some photographers do. You know, like get off the stage, you're not part of the act. If you don't have, if you haven't honed your craft yet that you can't get what you want from different angles, then you're not really a photographer. I remember and that's what it is. It's honing your craft. It's developing a skill where, okay, this is what's going on. Let me shoot it. And let me try and shoot it where, you know, you don't even know I'm shooting it. And that's what I've been able to do. So, again, keeping up with today's uh, photography trends. Yeah. But, like, if it doesn't conform to the way I shoot, you can keep it. It's like this. It's like this thing. Everybody's a photographer. That looks like an iPhone. Yes. Okay. Everybody's a photographer. And don't get me wrong, this thing takes amazing pictures. Do you shoot with your phone sometimes? Like, not on a professional level, but like. No, I mean, every now and then I'll take a shot from my phone, put it on Instagram, the gram, you know, Facebook. But, you know, I'm investing, you know, thousands of dollars into my Nikon D850. You're a Nikon head? There's there's nothing else. Ha! Oh, my God. I'm sorry. So my boyfriend's also a photographer, and he's been shitting on Nikon the almost three years that we are together. So, I mean, why am I Nikon head? Because all my Nikon glass from 20, 30 years ago fit. And then digital cameras today, Nikon digital cameras today. Canon can't, well, the other companies can't say that. So that's why I love Nikon. And I've been shooting with it since I was a teenager. So, so, so your first, so your first camera, the teenager was a Nikon also? No, my first cameras were Minolta's. Oh, wow. Minolta's no more, right? No. I think my, my stepdad gave me a Minolta lens that I keep here. So my first camera was a Minolta, a little point and shoot, you know, automatic focus. Then I graduated into an SRT, single uh, SLR, single lens reflex camera, you know, Minolta, SRT 200, 201. And then my dream camera was a Nikon F camera. And I got an Nikon F and haven't looked back since then. Yeah. I just recently, I just went recently, this old camera head, I just recently went mirrorless the other, you know, a couple of months ago. What'd you get? I got the Nikon Z6, V6. And the Z6. Z6 one or two? Two. And I love it. I love it. I fucking love it. I don't have calluses on my fingers anymore. Right? You know, know, it's so light. You shoot what you see. You get what you see. And again, all my Nikon lenses fit on the Z Z cameras. And I I love it. I feel like the Z6 II brings out the colors more than the Z6 I when I shoot. Because I had both. Okay. Okay. I love that camera. Yeah. Uh, see, I know I'm on the right track now. You just made my whole day right now. 
Oh, man. Um, you mentioned before, right, that you did also photograph Tito Puentes. You, you know, the beginning, I guess it would be the beginning stages of what Latin music was built on, too. Um, what was the difference between technically the two genres for you? I mean, listen, I, they all, it's all intertwined. Hip-hop, you know, I, I'm going to quote my dear friend, my brother, Grandmaster Kaz. Hip-hop didn't invent anything and reinvented everything. You know, Tito Puente played on Sugar Hill Gang's first album in 1980. And if you look at the album today, Google it, Sugar Hill Gang, on the back of the album it says Special Appearance by Tito Puente. Yeah, that's fucking mind-blowing. The king of Latin music playing on, you know, the first commercially successful rap group. So, you know, it all intertwined. And Latin music was going through an explosion almost during the same time as hip-hop was being birthed. So when I wasn't with my friends, I was with my dad. So, you know, it all intertwined. Um, so bringing the subject, since we did talk about Latin culture, um, Crazy like said, without Puerto Ricans and hip-hop, there would be pretty much no evidence of hip-hop. How do you feel? Hey, listen, let me just give you my take. I love Crazy Legs. That's my brother. I give my left arm for him. Mm-hmm. Fat Joe all these prominent hip-hop personalities, you know. But this is Joe Conzo's take. You know, hip-hop is colorless. It does not discriminate against your skin color, your ethnicity, your cult, wherever you're from. The Bronx during that time, during the birth of, of hip-hop, it, you know, you had Latinos, you had Blacks, you had Asians, you had Jewish people, you had so many different. New York was a melting pot of people, even more so today. So, you know, if you weren't from that time period, you have nothing to say about the beginning of the culture, okay? Um, In my neighborhood, you had, you know, dark skin, light skin, Hispanic people. Dark skin, light skin, African Americans. You know, you had so many different types of people, so to speak, for lack of better words. And that's how this culture started. Whether it was graffiti, emceeing, dancing, you know, breaking, rapping, that's how it was started. And, you know, yes, Crazy Legs does have a point. You take away. 10,000 of my images from that time period, there'd be a void in the culture, so to speak, at least in the in the beginnings, in the humble beginnings. Um, but do you feel like the Latino culture did make a great impact on hip-hop? Because of course, of- we, of course we made an impact. We were there from day one. What, whatever day that was, you know, the narrative is that the birth of this culture started August 11th, 1973. Do I agree with it? 
Not really, but that's the narrative for the past 50 years. I'll run with it. People can point out whatever they want, but that's the narrative that the pioneers and so many other people have been saying all these years. But you can't exclude one group of people. You can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. You, you, you know, if you weren't living in the Bronx at that time, you just can't. You can't. You know, and I'm older than Legs by a few years. I'm older than Joe. And, you know, they speak from a time of what they experience, which is pretty close to what I experience. And, you know, you can't omit people from, from, from something. So I hate using the word contributed. But, you know, if you want to use it, yes, we contributed since day one. We were part of it since day one. And you have people today who are a lot younger than me trying to change that narrative and, you know, twist the words of some of the pioneers around to support their narrative, which, you know, I think it's ridiculous. But, you know, that's the environment we live in today, the world we live in today. Me, 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 me. You weren't there. You weren't there. I did this. I did that. So I just sit back and like, well, I have photographs. Photos don't lie. I happen to be Puerto Rican, Cuban, African-American, you know, raised by a Dominican. So whatever group you want to put me in, you know, I still have some of the earliest images of the culture. So, you know, keep it moving. Photographing for so many years, right? Do you have a favorite shoot? No. I mean, listen, I, you know, <clears throat> there's bucket lists of people that I've always wanted to shoot. You know, Sade is on my bucket list. I would love to shoot her one day, you know, but I've shot pretty much everybody. I mean, Gil Scott Heron. Who's who? You know, passed away. I got to shoot him. I've shot Johnny Jackson, Jay Z, Nas, uh, the Doobie Brothers, uh, Santana. You know, wait, wait, Carlos Santana. The only Santana that's up there. No, there's Joel Santana too, but sometimes people say Santana too. I shot Joel Santana also. Oh, you know? like Carlos Santana though. It was great. It was great. I mean, I, I would have loved to have gone to, you know, get that Joe Conzo pass, but I didn't. So there's very, there's very few exceptions where, you know, if I do get a pass to shoot and it's one of, somebody on my bucket list, I'm going to shoot it. Yeah. I'm going to shoot it. So I got to shoot Carlos Santana. I got to shoot Earth, Wind, and Fire. I got to shoot, you know, uh, Chaka Khan. You know, uh, everybody, you know, the temptations, you know, you name it. Wow. Was there ever a time where you didn't want to take pictures? You get into these moments where, like, you're just like, Ugh. but those are just fleeting moments. They pass. I'm not as active as I was over the years because of medical issues you know i'm a cancer survivor 9-11 cancer survivor 
So I don't shoot as much as I used to shoot, but I do I do shoot. I was just in Seattle, Washington, you know, last weekend at the uh, Museum of Pop-Up uh, doing a panel with um, Fat Five Freddy, Bill Adler from Def Jam Records, Jeanette Beckman, Vicky Tobat, and, yeah. you know, so, you know, I, I travel a lot. I do panels. I do a lot of exhibitions. But, you know, again, if something catches my eye to shoot, I'm going to reach out if they haven't reached out and say, I'm going to shoot your event. And nine times out of ten, it's like, no problem, Joe. And I'll shoot it. So how did we – so, I, I first of all, when you told me you – you were a first responder in nine in 9-11. Um, I found that very inspiring because you were one of the people that made sure our loved ones, you know, were able to make it home to us. Um, remember watching 9-11 happen through a window in my school and they thought I was crazy. Uh, how did you become end up becoming a firefighter? And then what was it like to work uh, and so I wasn't I wasn't a firefighter. I worked for the fire department as an EMT. Okay, so back in 1996, the fire department took over the New York City EMS service. We yeah. were part of um, Health and Hospitals Corporation, but that was during the Giuliani tenure as mayor, and he took all these city agencies and merged them under different agencies. So. I don't know if you're old enough to remember. So we had three police departments back then. We had transit, we had housing, and we had New York City Police Department. So Giuliani put them all under New York City Police Department. EMS was under health and hospitals. He put us under the New York City Fire Department. So I wasn't a firefighter. I was an EMT working the streets of the South Bronx, driving an ambulance. As I say, you know, saving lives and delivering babies and 9-11 happened and being an EMT or paramedic working the streets of, of New York City, we're adrenaline junkies. We want the good jobs. And it was a day that I'll never forget. You know, I had what's called survivor's guilt. Why was I still alive and 3,000 plus people dead? Literally that day, if you ran right, you died. And if you ran left, you lived. And 20 years later, when I retired, I was diagnosed with pancreatic and liver cancer from associated with working that day, breathing in all the toxic uh, elements. And um, I'm here, cancer-free, four years now in remission, counting my blessings every day. But, you know, my... I wanted to become a successful photographer and travel the world. And it didn't happen right away. So I became a city worker. I joined New York City uh, Fire Department. And that was my city job. And it was the best thing I ever did because I was able to juggle both careers. You know, there's some years I made more money doing my photography than I did my city job. But photography, not unless you're one of those 1% photographers, doesn't give you a pension or insurance or anything like that. So, you know, I tell the young folks today, you know, 
a pension insurance is so damn important. So damn important. So, you know, I get to enjoy both worlds today. My photography career and, and my city career. I'm really glad you said that, right? Because for years, you know, um, I get comments from my family. You know, once again, very strict Greek upbringing. If you don't have that doctor job, that teacher job, you know, you're not doing anything. When I came out as a photographer, you know, I was still working jobs, but like they all used to tell me, why don't you just make up your mind? And I'm like, But well, you can, listen, you can do more than one thing. You can do more, you can wear more than one hat. Always remember that. You can follow your passion, which is in photography. You can follow your passion, which is in helping other people. But be, before you know it, Katie, in a blink of an eye, you're going to be 50, 60 years old. I'm sorry to burst your bubble. I'm not ready for that yet. <laughs> well, get ready. Because before you know it, boom. And you have to make decisions today for tomorrow. And those decisions you make today will affect tomorrow. Do you want to keep working while you're 60, 70, 80 years old? Or do you want to sit back, relax, enjoy the fruits of your labor, travel the world, do different things, raise your kids, grandkids, knowing that you have a monthly pension check coming in, knowing that you have a medical benefits for life. It's hard to grasp being so young. Oh, no. I, I totally understand it. Cause so, you know, I didn't start my city career until I was age 30. And how old are you, if you don't mind me asking? I'm, I'm going to turn 32. So, you're going to have to start making some decisions soon. I'm not saying give up photography. I'm not saying give up working your, your you know your job doing now. I'm not saying all that, but you got to think about tomorrow. I mean, I like from like from the pandemic, I had already started working on what I had to do because one, I didn't think I would as a person, right? Because I always had like uh, I have a family full of heart conditions, so I'm like, okay, I'm gonna wait for the other shoe to drop, like everyone else. Um, but I was already setting myself up because I was working to get a full-time position at my job that I was telling you about. Um, so it could erase my student loans. And if I'm there for a certain amount of time, you know, I already got my full benefits. You know, it's not the most ideal place to work. Don't get me wrong. You know, because nonprofits, especially now with Mayor Adams. Oh, yeah. Nonprofits are hard. My, my mother... My grandmother started United Bronx Parents back in the 60s and 70s. When she passed away, my mother took over. It's a nonprofit, um, community-based organization. It has over 50 years of, of community service. It's a hard field. It's a hard, hard field. And, and and this year, Mayor Adams cut $21 million from our budget. So it's just like a lot of these after schools in our just within my company are getting shut down because they don't have money to to afford. So it's just trying to use all of that and survive at the moment. You know, 
I'm just saving money to the side because we don't know what's gonna happen. We don't know if we're gonna have another pandemic. We don't know. Don't so know true. So true. And it's good you're having that conversation with yourself and thinking about tomorrow. You know, you know um, some people just enjoy the moment today and happy with, you know, whatever they're getting today and not thinking about tomorrow. I would I'm, never, I would I'm never. fortunate enough that, you know, I got a city job, wasn't making a ton of money. People actually laugh. Oh, you're working for the city. I'm making this amount of money a year. You're making that amount of money. But I look at them today as like, you're still working? <laughs> I'm retired. My pension check comes every month. Pandemic, world war comes every month. And that's how you got to think. And I don't mean to force my beliefs on, on anybody. No, I but, but before you know it, and I'm just speaking as a parent, a grandparent, as a, as a husband, as an you know, older brother. I'm the oldest out of five kids. You have to think about tomorrow because tomorrow will be here like that. Like that. I remember um, even with the pandemic, before the pandemic, right? I was shooting nightclubs. I was shooting all these concerts. I was so excited. I felt like I was on top of the world. And then I broke my heart and I realized I wasn't shit. Um, it put me like such, like I gave up photography for like the year that I broke my arm. And I think I really got my swing again to tell you the truth this year. Because they had hired me to shoot the Jadakiss concert. Wow. Yeah. And I almost got in trouble because one of Jadakiss's people, after they told me I had full access everywhere, I was just lazy to go walk all the way around to get on top of the stage when I had my section right next to the stage. Um, so I understand the Joe Condo path because I just wanted to go tell one of his people to really fuck off. It was so I, bad. I've done that a few times. I've done that a few times. Like, like, it's, in your favor. It's it's like you see this. Leave like, me the fuck alone. Like if you got a problem, talk to that short man running around right now. Please leave me the fuck alone. Yeah, yeah. But everybody has a job. They're trying to do their job. Some some people do it a little bit too much, and I'm like, just leave me alone. It gets so annoying. It does. It does. But it's worth it in the long run when you get that super duper dope shot. You know, it, it's worth it in the long run. Do you hate it when people tell you all you do is press a button? Um, I've had that said to me once or twice and I just disregard it. I've had people tell me I don't want my picture taken and I'm like, Okay, you won't be in my next book. You won't be in my next exhibition. But it's more than shooting. Again, it's not the equipment. I told the story this past Saturday to Jonathan Mannion. I always have a camera with me. If I'm outside of the house, driving, this, that, and the other. Um, I came in across an event years ago. Outdoor event. And I didn't have a camera with me. 
And I walked into the bodega, brought some disposable cameras, and took some pictures. And I got some dope shots. And you would have never known the difference between it was a disposable camera or a, uh, you know, $3,000 digital camera. Depending mm. how you edited it or did it in the lightroom. It's, it's, it's not even so much that. I, I really don't do a lot of editing. And I, I really don't like altering my photos in Photoshop, Bridge, Lightroom, or anything like that. I may touch it up here and there a, a tad. But um, it's all about composition. It's all about your eye. That's what it is. So I'll, you know, reinforce. It's not the equipment you have. It's not just because you press a button. It's what you are conveying and what you're seeing. You know, I grew up in a time where I was taking pictures and I only had one lens, a 50 millimeter lens. And... Um, 50 prime or the macro? Prime. A okay. prime 50 millimeter lens. You know, pretty fast. You know, 2.0. You know, can shoot practically in the dark. But the point I'm trying to make is, you know, if you wanted a close-up, you got close-up. If you wanted a wide angle, you step back. Mm-hmm. Now, people are lazy because they have that 24 to 300 lens and can stay in one shot and and shoot, you know, a hundred different shots with one lens. And don't get me wrong, I own one of those lenses also. But you sometimes you have to get back to the basics of how you learned, how you honed your craft. And I still shoot film every once in a while. And those 24 by 300, sometimes their f-stop only goes down to like 4.5. So you True. Can't, you can't do that. You can't use that True. in like a big setting or like a club. True. True. So, True. But then you, but then that's how you hone your skills. You know, uh, when I was learning about photography, you know, anything, you know, shutter speed anything under you know 30 30 you know uh you're gonna get some shaking movement you know the person's gonna be blurred but you know i've developed a a method that was taught to me you take a deep breath press the button and you you're not shaking so you know i can use a show a slow shutter speed to capture something if that's the effect that I want. You know, my digital camera, you know, I'll shoot outdoor events, use a flash, put it on a real, you know, one fifteenth of an exposure, and I'll zoom back and forth and just to get that movement. But with the flash, It'll freeze my subject, but I'll have movement in the background. And it's just little techniques that you learn. So being that you pretty much shot everything. And everyone. (laughs) Is there anything you haven't done as a photographer? I mean, listen, photography is such a broad 
a broad uh, art. There's fine arts photography. There's fashion photography. There's commercial photography, architectural photography. There's portrait. There's concert. There's so many different avenues in this art form we call photography. I've pretty much done it all. But my forte is is uh, documentation, documenting. Um, and that's what I love to do. Is there something you would suggest that every photographer should master when shooting? Respect. Respect your subject. If you respect your subject, they'll respect you back and invite you back. Like I said earlier, if you don't want me to take your picture, I respect you, and I won't take your picture. And they like that. Uh, you know, paparazzis have their role, but, you know, very very rarely will I stick a camera in somebody's face that doesn't want their picture taken. Very rarely. Unless you work in a nightclub, then you get that a lot. I mean, listen, you know, I've shot nightclubs and, you know, performances in nightclubs and people will love having their picture taken and some people, like, don't. You know, I have images of of pioneers that nobody will ever see because it's out of respect. So respect your subject. That's my, uh, my, my. Forte to uh, up and coming photographers. Okay, so before we, you know, close this, you did put out from the Bronx. Um, what was that like to be told, hey, you know, you've been doing so much the last 30, 40, 50, some odd years because you pretty much grew up with hip hop. As hip hop grew up, Joe Condo grew up as a photographer. So, what was it like to see it come full circle into your own book? Um, so I did Born in the Bronx. Um, um, it originally came out, wow, 2007, maybe earlier. That first edition of 10,000 books came and went. Um, the rights reverted back to Johan and I. We did a second printing, which was great. And this last printing, we got LL Cool J to do the the opening of the book, which I'm forever grateful. And um, it's just the, I call it a a family scrapbook of images, of flyers and ephemera of, of, you know, all the pioneers contributed to it. Um, And I've been, I mean, I've been all over the world. I've been to Bulgaria. Oh, wow. How how fucking cool is that? A kid from the Bronx in Bulgaria. I've been to Japan, London, Korea, Germany, you know, all over the world. Amsterdam, because of my photography. And I'm just grateful. I'm humble. So my last question, and I ask everyone, but, it, you know, since this photography talk, it really hits close to home. Without photography, who is Joe Kondo? Joe Gonzo is just an ordinary guy from the Bronx who 
has um, matured from a reckless teenager, so to speak, and has uh, raised a family, cherished his marriage, his relationships, and um, it's had a pretty phenomenal life. And if you take out the the photography, I'm just another kid from the Bronx. That's it. Grateful to be alive today. I have to say this was probably the best hour of my life. Um, I learned so much. Didn't you know? Like, I'm just a kid from Queens, honestly. Like, yeah, did, okay. I, get, did I get the? Um, have I been privileged to shoot? what I've shot yet. Like, I've shot Anthony Santos. I've shot um, Jada Kids. I've shot... I've shot a lot over my 15-year career. And to sit here with someone that's taking a picture of, like, all my favorite artists, um, to sit here with someone who just grew up like me, trying to get out of their parents' shadow, you know, I really want to thank you for sitting down with me. I hope one day I could, like, sit in the studio and learn with you. Uh, you can never One day. stop learning. Uh, One day. One day we'll be out in the street in a park jam taking pictures. Yeah! I would love that. Thank you so much. Um, so for everyone that wants to follow you to purchase your book, where can they find you? Um, so I'm on Instagram, Joe Conzo. I'm on Facebook. You can go to 1xrun.com uh, um, and purchase the book. You can send me a DM, purchase the book, and, um, you know, just, uh, I'm out there. Yeah, yes, you are. Everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. This was Inside the Raw Zone, Inside the Shop with the man, the myth, the legend, Joe Conzo, the man who took hip-hop's first baby pictures. Um, follow us everywhere, www.rawzonenyc.com. Check us out on Ramble Mania. Check us out on Elgin Sound Radio. Check us out on Pulso 82.3 FM. Uh, Happy New Year once again to everyone, and we'll be back with new episodes of the show in February. From myself, from Mr. Kondo himself, we bid you all a too sweet and a good fight and a good night. Now we are out of here.